Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. I want to talk a little bit of recruiting from a, from a variety of perspectives, though. Frankly, it's not just going to be about what's going on with recruiting, what's happening with recruiting as it pertains to the Oregon Ducks or uh, Oregon State or Washington State or Washington or the Big Ten or Alabama. I want to get to all that with our next guest, but I also want to talk a little bit of recruiting from a parent perspective. From I get asked a lot from high school kids who want to catch the eye of a college recruiter who want to think about everything that they should be thinking about as it pertains to social media and their highlight clips and all of that. How does it call how does a high school kid get noticed in today's world? What steps would would you advise them to take? Our next guest covers college football recruiting on the West Coast. It's located in uh, Southern California. Uh, also a Bay Area native, publisher of Ducks Digest, Max Torres is joining us. Do we have Max on the line? Yeah, I got you, John. All right, good to hear from you. You're loud and clear, Max. Hey, um, let's start with that stuff. What advice do you get? I'm sure you get parents of high school recruits who reach out to you and say, hey, Max, how, what what should I be thinking about? What do you tell those parents? Yeah, I think when, God, the, the recruiting process is so complicated now, John, with how much the sport has changed. I think when when those conversations come up, I think it's about trying to get as much exposure as you can. Uh, if you are maybe someone who's kind of flying under the radar, looking for your, your big shot, just going to as many of these camps, these seven-on-seven tournaments as you can, or taking these recruiting visits even, I think that's a big part of it. And then cutting up your game film every week to just show coaches what you're doing. I think that's a big part of it. And then looking on the other side, if, if you are a big-time recruit, I, I think that you kind of have to to navigate these waters pretty carefully. Uh, you know, you got to have a good handle on, you know, who I think is is in the picture or in your son's inner circle when it comes to recruiting because I think that it's kind of a, a dangerous landscape right now with, with just how much money is involved with recruiting in general or even movement at the high school level. You see guys moving year to year. Um, so there, there's a lot of, uh, moving pieces here, but just keeping, keeping your son's, you know, best interest at the forefront of everything. Um, and, and then I think also a big part of it is looking at those coaches that, that want to establish a relationship with the entire family, not just the recruit, not just telling you what you want to hear. Yeah. And I think too, there's a lot of kids out there that, you know, don't yet understand that, you know, the college coaches are hyper-focused on the portal, and there are fewer scholarships in general available to high school kids. How does that manifesting itself? You know, you've covered this for a while. What do you see happening as it pertains to high school kids who would like to get a scholarship and are maybe running up against the uh, a funnel more or a bottleneck where there just aren't as many scholarships available? It's a tough situation right now because you are finding, John, like you mentioned, the the – preference or maybe increased attention to uh, the transfer portal and getting those guys that are kind of ready to go right now. 
So you're, you're finding that these spots are you know, increasingly more coveted, just the, the high school spots that is. So I think that some of these kids maybe feel pressure to lock in their spot a little bit earlier than, than they have in the past, just obviously on a more general scale. But then you are also going to have those guys that just kind of know, hey, I'm a top 50, top 25 guy, and I think I'm going to have a spot for me uh, as long as I want to drag this recruiting process out. So I, I think it does vary from player to player. Some of those guys, they, they have to really, really be calculated. And then there's some other players that are just so big time that they have that luxury of, of maybe being able to call some of the shots a bit more than, than your average recruit because they are just that high caliber. But I think that um, there's just so much attention being, you know, paid to, to the recruiting process and what's going on in a week to week basis. You know, do I go to this event in my area? Do I fly across the country to go compete against top caliber talent? Or do I maybe take this recruiting visit? It's just, there's, there's always something going on every week. It feels like, and I think to me that makes these recruiting windows uh, or the recruiting calendar that much more important because just like these coaches want to capitalize, I think these players do too. And they want to do their best to be as efficient as they can with this process and, and really exploring their options as best as they can. We're talking to Max Torres, uh, who covers college recruiting, Ducks in particular. Max, um, I've heard stories about recruits who made money just for taking visits. Um, some say they've seen it. Others have say they never heard about it. How prevalent is that? Kids just going to take an unofficial visit, getting their trip paid for, and getting some walking around money? Uh, I've heard rumors of that before. It's not something that is, I would say, from my experience, incredibly common. Um, but it, it does kind of raise that question of, especially with the rule of, you know, uh, as many unofficial, as many official visits, excuse me, as recruits want to take, it kind of muddies the water a little bit. You know, who who's coming to my school to really give us a legitimate look or who's coming to, you know, get in the uniforms and get pictures and post it on their social media account and, you know, continue to grow the hype. So I don't think that it's something that is necessarily super common from what I've heard firsthand in my personal experience. But I mean, those visits are so, so crucial um, that, you know, people will go to some extreme lengths, I would think, to try to get guys on campus, especially if it's a recruitment that's coming down to the final hour and um, you, you just, you can never expect anything to be too dull in today's era of recruiting. So that, that's kind of my take on that. I want to, you know, maybe this is a little close to home for you, but it's, you know, I see interviews with recruits, high school recruits all the time. And, you know, they'll give an interview to an outlet like, you know, like your outlet and, and, and the Ducks Digest, or they'll maybe go to another, uh, website entity and give an interview and, uh, what's in it for the kids? Are, does that help with their profile to do as many interviews as possible? Or what is the strategy there? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think I think at the heart of it is probably more exposure. Um, but I also think that maybe what they can get out of it is if maybe they want to show a staff that they are really interested in them and that they have a legitimate shot in their recruitment, maybe they would be uh, a little bit more likely to, to give multiple interviews to reporters within the same market 
or um or maybe sometimes I, it's hard for me to get get some of these guys on on the phone john that's that's part of the reason i moved to southern california because i don't have to be so reliant on hitting a guy up on dm and then trying to set up a phone interview i can go to a camp or go to a practice or go to a game so i i think that uh they they benefit from it because it, it gets their name more in the circulation right if you have me doing it and tweeting about it and then you know your brandon huffman your chad simmons you know your big names in the recruiting industry i think it just keeps your name in the circulation and and um maybe maybe some guys just have fun with it we're talking to max torres he covers recruiting uh and he's a national uh, college football recruiting analyst uh, focuses mostly on the West Coast, Los Angeles, San Diego area. What do you see in there as far as talent in that area, L.A. and San Diego? There's always ebbs and flows, but you're, I think you're in Long Beach right now. What what do you see talent-wise in that region? Gosh, there's there's no shortage of talent out here. I mean, this is the hotbed of college football talent on the West Coast. I think one of the coolest things about living out here. Uh, even if I don't always have the greatest pulse on it, there is always something going on every single weekend, especially here in the off season. I, I do my best to kind of know what's coming so I can try to get, go out, you know, whether it's to San Diego or the Inland Empire, maybe it's a big tournament locally in, in Long Beach. I, the, the talent is, is phenomenal uh, out in this area. I think if you're looking for Quarterback talent, you're, you're going to find it. Obviously, there's a, a great one in the area with Achilles Smith Jr., the 25 quarterback out of San Diego Lincoln. He's a, a duck legacy, so he he's a, a great one that I've gotten to see quite a few times, but you find your elite receivers, you find some great running backs and, and DBs. So there there's just so much talent out here, and then you see guys that fly in from across the country You know, on some of these seven-on-seven teams. I got to see California Power. And they have guys from all over the country. I talked to a top 10 guy in the 26th class out of Mississippi. So you never really know who you're going to run into. But for, for me and what I want to do, try to get my pulse on as many recruitments as I can. It, it really benefits me to go out to these events because you really do not always know who's going who's gonna to go show up, whether it's a player, a recruit, uh, a coach, uh, a, a NFL legend. You, you just don't know. So I think it's it keeps me on my toes. Uh, and it's just really fun to to get a feel for kind of what they have going on. There, you know, let's say you're talking to like a high school sophomore who is you know going to be a junior next season. They go to a couple camps. Maybe they go to you know if they're in the state of Oregon, they'll go to the Oregon State camp during the summer or the Oregon camp. What more should those kids be doing to get exposure? Yeah, I think uh, if, if you're going to those camps, that's obviously a, a great step in the right direction. Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, posting your results, posting your highlights. A lot of these camps, they they have um, they have you know testing or combine uh, results that they send out to parents or the the players. So I think just utilizing those resources that you can come across while you're at those camps, I think that's a tremendous asset that a lot of players regardless of their ranking or rating can really lean into so that it makes you easier to find um, with, with all the technology that we have at our fingertips. You got to think that all these coaches have it and then some even more uh, with advanced scouting and all that. And, and another one that might be a little bit underrated, John um, is, is networking, just striking up a conversation with all the coaches that you come into contact with because you never know, you know, maybe they send your film to, to somebody and, and that's how you land on a school's radar. I just think that there's 
so many ways that you can leverage yourself and continue to to build your brand and your profile. Um, and I think that networking is one of the biggest things that I've kind of learned um, myself. So I think if, if I were to pass that along to some some younger recruits, I think that would be uh, something that could be of tremendous value because you never know when those connections are going to come into play. Uh, you never know if you're going to be a guy who's still looking for a home, maybe in the February signing period, which is kind of the late signing period now. Uh, but if you you know can dial up that coach or someone that you met uh, along the way, along your journey, they might be able to give you a hand. I want to ask you about what's going on with Oregon right now. I keep seeing, um, you know, obviously there's some coaching changes, places like Michigan. Um, is Oregon benefiting from sort of that chaos in the ecosystem? Alabama, Arizona, Washington, Michigan. What did you see happen with those schools and how the Ducks may or may not have been involved in, in benefiting? They're absolutely benefiting. I, I don't think that there's too much of a question around that from from my perspective. You saw the coaching carousel that happened kind of leading up to, to conference championship weekend in early December and then the early signing period in mid-December. And then you saw Nick Saban retire and the mini coaching carousel that came from that. All these other schools, Arizona, Washington, Michigan, Alabama, they're all in the headlines because they got a bunch of question marks. They're looking for answers. But meanwhile, you have recruits. I'm telling, I'm talking to them in these interviews, and they're saying whether it was whether it factually happened or not, they are saying, you know, Dan Lanning turned down the Alabama job, or you know, he was in the mix for that, but he he chose to stay at Oregon. So that speaks to the belief that he has and what he's building in Eugene. And I think that when he put out that video, we we knew that it was going to have big rewards for the Ducks on the recruiting trail. And we're continuing to see it now. It's It's been a little bit slower than I expected. They got a commitment from De La Salle edge rusher Matthew Johnson a uh, couple, couple weeks ago. But I really feel like they are in a really good spot with a number of 2025 recruits. And I wouldn't be surprised if a recruiting run of commitments was uh, in the near future. Oregon going to the Big Ten. Everyone's talking Ohio State, Oregon. Is there anyone else in that conference that you're thinking about? as it pertains to recruiting, who's really making advances? Not really, John. I mean, I think Penn State ha has been a school that has recruited pretty well in that conference. They are ranked ahead of Oregon right now. They have 12 commits to, to Oregon's five. But when you're looking at Oregon's long-term competition, once they move to the Big Ten, I guess they're in there now, right? We're in 24 that is going to be their main competition. I think that they've done enough on the field and certainly on the recruiting trail in recent years leading up to this move to the Big Ten to really be on that same level as Ohio State. I'm not saying that they're better, but they can compete with Ohio State on the recruiting trail. That is absolutely true. So looking looking ahead and into the future here, maybe we're going to see some more Dan Lanning versus Ryan Day battles on the recruiting trail, and, and I think that Oregon's got plenty of ammo to walk away with their fair share of wins. What was your reaction to Chip Kelly leaving UCLA? And in your footprint, that had to make a little noise there. That was an interesting one. I think just looking at the sequence of events for that one was pretty strange, John, seeing that there were reports that he was going to get fired and then he didn't get fired, but then he left anyway. <laughs> so I think that it was really a signal that, you know, maybe he he didn't fit the the modern 
not the modern, just he didn't fit maybe where college football was at right now as it pertains to the demands that it puts on a head coach, right? There's there's always been that rumor that he doesn't like recruiting. And I think you're seeing, I've seen some more pictures of him out on these visits during the January contact period, but I feel like we all could kind of see, just, just look at the results in the recruiting rankings. UCLA has not prioritized recruiting. So I think his move to the Big Ten to become the offensive coordinator at Ohio State, great move for the Buckeyes. I think good move for him because he can really just hone in on the offensive side of the ball and he doesn't have to deal with all of the demands of being a head coach. So it, it was a shocking move for sure. Uh, obviously one that has Oregon ties because he coached at Oregon. He's going to be coaching against the Ducks across the side on the other sideline when the Buckeyes come to Eugene in October. Um, but it was a wild move. And um, I, I think I'm really just happy that he is staying in the college level because we're seeing so many college coaches opt to return to the NFL. And a lot of people think it's just because there's not many guardrails on the game right now of college football. Yeah. And I think uh, it's just interesting to watch what is happening. Max Torres, college football recruiting analyst covers the West coast. Finally, Max, before I cut you loose, um, you know, just in general, where can people find your work? Ducks digest. And, and obviously you're on Twitter as well at uh, M Torres sports. Absolutely. No, appreciate that, John. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at mtorresports, same username on Instagram. You can read me at ducksdigest.com, subscribe to my YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Torres, and listen to me on the Ducks Dish podcast. Max Torres, thank you, man. I appreciate you popping on with us. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me. Leave it here. Some parting thoughts coming up. This back and forth between Doc Rivers, J.J. Reddick, Now Austin Rivers getting in on the action. Um, for people who don't know, J.J. Redick uh, not happy saying Doc Rivers just makes excuses, excuses, excuses. I, I've seen the trend now. I've seen the trend for years. What's the trend? The trend is always making excuses. Get Doc, we get it. Taking over a team in the middle of the season is hard. It's hard. We get it. Just like getting traded in the middle season is hard for a player. We get it. Mm -hmm. But it's always an excuse. It's always throwing your team under the bus. They lose to Memphis. Oh, it's his players. Memphis was playing G League guys and two-way guys. And then you look at his quotes over the weekend. Now he wants to take credit for the James Harden trade to the Clippers working out. He wants credit for that. There's just no <laughs> – there's never accountability with that guy. Well, there's never accountability. Now, Austin Rivers sounding off. For someone who's – not accountable. He seems to always be held responsible, considering he's the guy that's always fired when things don't go right. <laughs> he got fired in the bubble uh, for a 3-1 lead versus the Denver Nuggets, which in half his team didn't want to be there. They had players saying that their mind wasn't there. He had guys leave. That happened. Then he gets fired for losing to a team that was favored over him, which was the Celtics last year. Um, it seems like he's always responsible. It's just it's strange coming from J.J. And I have some love for J.J. You're my dookie. You know that. You're my bro. I love you. Um, <laughs> It's just your best years were with the Clippers. I don't think he saved your career. I appreciate you, Pat. But I don't think it – I mean, I, this just seems a little bit weird. They're 3-7. They're and seven. Dame has missed most of those games. Middleton's missed a lot of those games. They haven't even had their full team yet. We'll see what happens. The pressure is there. They do have to perform. But in terms of accountability, like, what, what are we doing here? Your best years in the NBA were when you played for him in the Clippers. Let's not forget that. I don't know if there's like frustration there or there's tension there between you. I know a lot of times we had to sit you towards the end of the game due to defensive reasons, but you had your best years as a starter there, especially our whole system was drafted around you because you're a shooter. You're not a guy who could put the ball on the floor. You were a strictly shoot 
guy. You're not like Clay Thompson or Steph who can put the ball on the floor. You're a guy who can catch and shoot. And you did it at a high level. Hell of a career, by the way. Big fan. But your best years were under him. It's just very ironic and kind of weird that you have this energy towards him in terms of him never, ever being accountable, considering he's always been responsible. Not that Austin Rivers is sensitive here, but he just... He just said J.J. Redick didn't play defense and was just a catch-and-shoot guy, uh, firing back a little bit. I, I think it's interesting because Austin starts talking about it. J.J. Redick says it's always an excuse there's no accountability. Austin defends his father by pointing out that he was held responsible when the teams didn't perform well. I think he's muddying the waters. J.J.'s talking about personal accountability. Like, early in the show, I said it was clunky, and it's on me. I thought I wasn't very good early in the show today. That's accountability. Now, responsibility is what happens after. Of course, you're going to be held responsible, but Austin's not really, you know, accepting the issue there. The issue is, J.J.'s saying, Doc Rivers just chronically makes excuses and never accepts his personal responsibility for what's going on. And I think that's a fair point. I think it's a really fair point. What do you make of that spat? Yeah, I think it's a little interesting, and Patrick Beverly got in on it with some tweets saying, you know, J.J., he saved your career, Doc Rivers yeah. did, and you know, now Patrick Beverly plays for Doc Rivers, so that it makes a lot of sense he does that. Yeah. It seems like <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of, hey, listen to my podcast vibes here. Like, this is what we're going to start talking about on all our podcasts to me, but <laughs> I don't know, like – Doc, I've been, I've said this since when they hired him, like Doc has done less with more as a coach, more than anybody in the NBA. So like, it doesn't shock me that a guy like JJ Redick doesn't necessarily respect him as a head coach. Like he loses out and he loses his players and they lose the locker room. So I think there is probably a little hostility between JJ and Doc. And I understand Austin Rivers for coming in and saying, no, dude, like my dad gave me a chance in LA when no one else was going to give me a chance. And so he's a good coach. He's won a championship. I think they're all kind of right in some weird way, but I also get the vibe like, hey, there's no NBA games till Thursday. Let's start talking about something. Yeah, but do you see the difference like between yeah, between personal accountability, Doc saying, hey, this is on me. I haven't been very good you know, to start the year with this team, and then the responsibility. Like, I think Austin's right. Like, his dad does get blamed if they don't win the games because it's your job to win the damn games, but he's missing the point. JJ's saying... Doc Rivers never accepts responsibility. And I think that is a problem. All right, tomorrow we'll have a great show for you. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.